Let's get this W on three. One, two, three. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the W Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in right now. We have a special episode for episode 13, and we have our second guest on the show. I'm excited, finally. (laughs) She's one of the rising stars of the WNBA. So she got drafted into the Chicago Sky, and now she is playing for the Atlanta Dream. She attended the University of Texas, and she is also the first WNBA player. You can kind of call it like a legacy player. So the first WNBA player to be in the league that is the daughter of a former player. Welcome to the show, Imani McGee-Stafford. How are you doing? I'm great. That was a really good intro. Good job. It was? Yay. I'm (laughs) excited. Yay. Um, So yeah, thanks for joining me in Princess. I know right now you are 13 hours away in China. For the most part, all of us are in bed because either it's really early in the morning or it's getting late at night. <laughs> we're all just hella comfortable right now. So how's your season or the prep for your season going on? I know that you have your season starting soon, right? Over in China? Yes. Tomorrow. Tomorrow's the first game. I'm so excited. Who are you guys playing? Um, we are in Yiwu, China, and we're playing Natasha Howard's team. Nice, nice, nice. So... I just wanted to start off by just saying, like, Amani's mad cool. I love her to pieces. Um, I met her at a game. And autumn, actually, before I even met her, I was gravitated towards her because she's funny. <laughs> and when she when she was basically telling 50 Cent every day for, like, 50 days, like, you need to come to a game or else, <laughs> I was like, I, I, I mess with her because she's bold. She's unapologetic. And it worked because eventually he came. He didn't come to the game he wanted him to go to, but he actually came to a game and enjoyed it. And I, I was like, okay. So she has some star power there. She has pull. I appreciate that. What was it like meeting him anyway? Um, craziness. I met him for the first time at like a power viewing party in LA during the Olympic break because like the stalker I am, I saw he was like an hour from LA in Pomona and I went to the event and I like, finesse my way into VIP to meet him and then like he ended up coming to a game like a month and a half later I screaming literally I probably met him for like five minutes the first time I met him and like I called my cousin like losing my mind (laughs) (laughs) but he's actually like a really humble person like he's the person that you see in the world is literally him though that's what's so crazy about it like it's not a persona like that's him I heard, like, the person that you see him as, like, the big scary guy, he's, like, the total opposite. Like, I heard, like, he's yeah. a super teddy bear and, like, very sweet guy. Yeah, he's super humble. He's very sweet. But, like, his just, like, his demeanor, like, his hood smart, like, the way he talks, like, he actually talks like that. Like, <laughs> and now, like, anytime I'm in New York, like, either him or his assistant will try to, like, come to the game or something. Like, he's, like, super supportive. It helps that he came to the game with Maya Moore playing because... She's amazing. So he right. was like, I'm totally a fan. 
<laughs> All right, so let's talk more about your team in China. Um, what are some of what what's the playing style of your team, and what are some of the skills uh, that you bring to the team? I'm a defensive player, so like that's always gonna be my bread. I rebound really well. I play hard and I play defense. Like that's always gonna be my thing. So first and foremost, I'm always bringing that, and then I bring size. Like there's not a lot of size in China. They don't. They have big players, but not like six, seven big players. Um. So anytime you can have a big body in the paint, that's up. But it's just a lot different. Like in the WBA, I'm fast. I'm not fast here. <laughs> I'm not fast. They're very fast here. So that's one of their strengths, that their speed. Yeah, they're very fast. And they're all just, it's weird because they're skilled in really random things. Like, they're skilled, but they're not necessarily, like, they just learn the game different. So, like, how we'll start, like, learning how to do micing and stuff, they'll start, like, with ball handling and knowing how to make all these different, like, moves and stuff that we probably won't learn unless you're only a guard. Like, they're they're all their players one through five know how to handle the ball. Most of them shoot threes. Like it's just really different the way they teach the game here. So what's like the history of your team? Like in their in the Asian league or the Chinese league that they play in? Like are they one of the more dominant teams? And what are you guys trying to do? Obviously win a championship, but what else are you guys trying to do or prove this year? Um my team is actually like one of the better teams in the league. They won the championship last year. But they're also one of the older teams in the league. So they got a new coach this year. Their coach went to the national team. So they're still kind of trying to – they still have, like, a kind of a chip on their shoulder. At least the coach does because he's a very young coach. This is his first kind of major job, and he's replacing, like, one of the most more famed coaches in China. So they kind of just want to make sure they're doing the same, if not as good as they did last year. And I always see – if people don't realize – Amani's very active on social media. So you know exactly what's going on in her life if you follow her on Snapchat or Instagram. And I always see you immersed in the culture. So whether you're shopping, whether you're trying food, whether it's good food, bad food, because I told you how I feel about those green mint Oreos that it doesn't make sense. (laughs) But like, how have you adjusted to the culture, the people, the language, and how have they embraced you? Because it looks like your team is very welcoming of you and helpful with you too. So how... How how have you gotten used to life over on that side of the world and assimilating to it? Um, okay, so my teammates are really cool. Um, they kind of speak English. Like, one of them speaks really good English because she played, and she actually was on the roster during training camp for Minnesota. And so they've been really cool. The more I know them, the more English they speak, if that makes any sense. Like, the more we get to know each other, the more they bring out their English. Um, okay <laughs> they get more comfortable <laughs> in china like they'll speak chinese and act like they don't know english until like they're like oh, okay that's so weird yeah no it's really okay weird. i guess <laughs> like my first week my first week with the team like no one spoke english like no one could understand me it was like so frustrating and then like now like everybody speaks a little bit of english like we can communicate now <laughs> like are you learning Chinese though, or are you just kind of like, nah, it's too hard? Um, it's so hard. First things first, it's so hard. But I am trying. Like, I know enough. Like, I know all the, the fundamentals right now. Like, so I can count to ten. I play the numbers, so that's helpful. 
Um, I know like three colors because that's our on-ball defense. Um, I know how to say offense, defense, hello, goodbye, and thank you. Give us some. Give him some hello, goodbye. All right, Nihao, that's hello. Um, all right, I can't really pronounce goodbye, but I know it. <laughs> <laughs> you know it when you hear it. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know somebody saying bye. So. E R Sun Su U Leo Chi Ba. I just counted to ten. <laughs> you go, girl. You got the plays down, which is good. I'm glad they keep it simple for y'all, cause I sure would be lost in the sauce. Wanted to go a little bit left with my question because a few months ago, Lo told me this really funny story about y'all two that I have to get some confirmation on. So Lo told me that you put out an APB on Twitter, I think it was, that you needed your hair done and your weave taken out. So <laughs> you so you pulled up to Lo and she was the kitchen beautician that got your breakfast <laughs> today. Affirming or denying this story and leaving out any details because I need to know. Okay, so she's a lifesaver. I had an event in New York. For some reason, I just had a loose track. Like, <laughs> my hair was not trying to cooperate. And it was, like, on the top of my head, too. It wasn't in the back. So I had, like, a whole flat on the top of my head. And Lo was like, you know, I can, I can fix it up for you. And I was like, what? Lifesaver. And then she pin curled my hair, too. So the next day, my hair was fired. <laughs> above and beyond I respect it love. I respect above it so you, and beyond so you sewed down the loose track and you pin curled it for the next day styling I love it because she was I don't think she had a curling iron you know she was here for like literally a day and she had bobby pins and I was like oh well if you want to like you know make your hair look nice if you don't have a flat iron or a curling iron pin curls always Stays a day as long as it stays nice. And the next day on, I think it was on Snapchat. I saw her. I was like, "Oh shit! Look at me! <laughs> look what I did!" Like she looks so good. So yeah, that was fun. That was fun times. And if anybody knows me, like I cannot do hair like at all. Like not even a little bit. So she was a lifesaver because she was like, "Um, so what are you gonna do for tomorrow?" I was like, "Sleep, sleep really, really still and soft, and hope nothing goes wrong." <laughs> And she was like, no, no, I can just help you. Like, I'll just help you. <laughs> Good looking out, Lo. You are so clutch for that, as always. I try. I try. <laughs> All right. I just had to ask that question really quickly. But back to basketball. So we're going to bring you back <laughs> to the States, actually. So you and Tamara Young were the only moves made before the trade deadline that sent you from the Chicago sky to the Atlanta dream. What were your initial thoughts with playing um, with Coach Cooper and joining a new team while he was there and, and, you know, in the midst of Atlanta's quick offense and just how you fit in? What were your initial thoughts? Um, I was excited to play for Coop because he actually coached my mom and he recruited me when he was at USC. So I've basically known him my whole life. And my final two schools were USC and Texas. So like the first thing he said to me actually when I arrived at like five something in the morning to go getting on the bus to go to our away game was took me six years, but I got that ass. <laughs> <laughs> Showtime coop for you. 
Um, and so I was excited. Um, I wanted to be traded, so I was happy about that. Mm. Yeah. Did you request a trade, or did it just kind of happen? So happen that for a trade. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just think everything's not for everybody, and the the situation in Chicago wasn't really benefiting me or my career. And while I love the city, I love my teammates, it just wasn't, there wasn't much opportunity for me, which is like, you know, Stephanie was having a great season, and she was position, and my coach wanted her to succeed, so that's kind of, it, it kind of is what it is, you know? So, uh I actually moved somewhere where there'd be a list for me. Has it turned out to be what you wanted? Like, have you, even though it wasn't the full season, do you feel like that's a place that you're going to get what you want? Now that Coach Cooper's gone too, do you think going forward that's still going to be a place where you're going to grow and achieve all that you want to achieve there? Um, I hope so. I mean, I kind of came into the season uh, – I came to the team, obviously, at the end of the season, so it was hard to crack the rotation. But I did well when I when I saw extended minutes. So, But now that none of that matters. We have an entire new coach and a new GM. So uh, I told the president, like, I, I want to be in Atlanta, and I'm trying to buy a house in Atlanta, so hopefully I play there. <laughs> that would be helpful. But um, I just have to see when I get to training camp. There's um, not much else I can do beyond that. I think another big question for joining a new team is like, how's the team chemistry? Do they welcome you with open arms? You know, you don't have to name any names if anybody shaded you. You know, was it easy for you to make that transition? You knew Coop, you know, your whole life. So I know that was a plus and he probably gave it to you straightforward. But even just, you know, coming together with that group of women, how was that for you and leaving Chicago? I think what was cool was that I did come with TY. So I kind of already had somebody to kind of have to learn the plays with, to like meld into, you know. And we knew our, each other because we played together in Chicago. So that was helpful. Um, but everybody was cool. Like, it wasn't much. I'm also not a person you necessarily have to get used to because if I don't feel welcome, I, I'll simmer down and I, I'll do what I'll do. How was how the team, you know, I know you've been overseas, but how was the team kind of adjusted to his firing? And, you know, the you have the new coach and the new GM. How big of a transition is that? I mean, that's nothing you've had to experience since being in the WNBA. Um, you know, Not just how actually, yeah, my yeah. second time <laughs> in Chicago. Yeah, the coach is oh man, okay. This is my second new coach and second this year. <laughs> it really is. It just hit me. Oh man, when Amber, okay, so how was that? You know, yeah. a big transition twice. Um, I think the see, the thing about the difference with, with Chicago it happening in Chicago is that I had a relationship with the head coach, I had a relationship. Um, well, Pokey was head coach in the GM, but I had a relationship with that. Like, I'd already established a relationship. I already played for Pokey. I knew what to expect. Um, I love Pokey to death, um, but that was just a side note. She's, like, my favorite coach at all time. But um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd already, like, built that core in that relationship with her. So when she got fired, I had to, like, readjust everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, with Coop, I didn't play for Coop for a year. I, I didn't go through training camp with Coop, so... I didn't have any of that like expectation or or that routine. So 
I don't know. I just got to see what happens um, with Nikki and uh, Chris and the training camp, really. It's kind of – it's frustrating, though, because you, you put in – you kind of – you build some type of respect or rapport with your coach, uh, and it's kind of like starting from square one, starting from zero again. Since you said that, actually, this is a question that um we we're going to ask you a little bit later, but I think it kind of fits in now with the – new coaches, new GMs. I feel like not just in um, Atlanta and last season in Chicago, but around the league, you're starting to see a lot of shifts go on with coaching staff, with management, and as well as with new teams. Recently, it was announced that the San Antonio Stars are going to be leaving um, that family and moving to Las Vegas. And Bill Ambeer from New York Liberty is going to go over to Vegas as well to become their GM and head coach which makes Katie Smith now the head coach in New York. So it's a lot of sh- changes going on. And, you know, we're only a few, what, two months removed from the end of the season. So we don't even know what's going to happen between now and training camp next year. What are your thoughts when you heard about it? And do you think it'll help with the visibility of the league being in a town like Vegas, who at right now doesn't, I don't think they really have another um major league sports team or they're they're trying to get more major league teams there but what do you think about the move in general um so this is what's so funny right um i was talking to okay so do you remember that espn article that somebody irrelevant wrote um maybe right around nba summer league saying lonzo ball is killing the wnba yes Uh how the wnba needs to do a better job of covering themselves and Summer League is killing WNBA, yada, yada, yada. Do you remember that article? I remember that trash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so after that, I just started thinking. And so I told Risa, I was like, yo, we should have, um, I was like, I don't know if it's possible, but if possible, we should move a week of games to, to during the week of Summer League. So it'll be like, you come to a Summer League game and the WNBA plays before or after. Um, like kind of just like, ex- like how mm-hmm. the NBA does like NBA China. I was like, that'd be cool. Like, everybody just play a week of games in, in Vegas. Um, and we've been talking about this, and we both talked about it, and I told her about it. She was like, that sounds really great. So when the team moved to Las Vegas, I hit her up like, yo. <laughs> you played me. And she was like, nah. She was like, this has been in the work for a while. And when you came to me with that idea, it just kind of reaffirmed that we were making the right decision. Um, so it's crazy how life works out, right? I always have crazy ideas that I send to Lisa and sometimes she's like nah money and that's time she's like oh I'll think about it it was really crazy that that's how that played out I, I think it's a great market because there's nothing in Vegas besides gambling and we see how good how how big NBA Summer League is now um so it's definitely a market there yeah and like who doesn't want to take a trip to Vegas for a game <laughs> like so Lo, do you gamble do you like do the fantasy stuff for money or do you do like sports betting at all I don't like losing money I don't do the most I'll do is the machines where you put in a dollar because that's as much as I'm willing to lose. It's a dollar, <laughs> and it, <laughs> I get whatever I get back from it. Um, no, nah, I don't. I don't know how to. I really don't know how to play a lot of games, especially card games. I really don't. I I just know how to play solitaire. So, and Uno. <laughs> I'm not. This is the first time I'll learn how to play a card game. A card game is not going to be when this much money is on the line. So. What? We finally have a casino out here in New York. That's the thing, too. There's really, there really were no casinos in New York, so it's like it wasn't something that was around. <laughs> you know. 
Um, I'm going to ask you some questions about your family because I know in the intro I, um, I mentioned that you are the first player to be the descendant or the daughter of a former WNBA player, Pam McGee. So with Pam being your mom and as well as your brother JaVale playing in the NBA, what was your upbringing like in terms of basketball? So what are some things that you learned from them? How did your mom mentor you in the game? Was she like, you know, super hands-on? Did she kind of like not even pressure you into basketball? Did she let you like kind of find your way? And how does she and your brother play a role in as a player, but just overall the influence on your career? My mother and my brother are the most famous basketball players in my life, but my dad played in college and like a year or two overseas. His baby sister is a current college coach and played in the WNBA as well. Uh, my aunt is Trisha Stafford Odom. She played for the Miami Soul and the Houston Comets, and she's her head coach of um, North Carolina Central, I want to say. I'm probably wrong. She just got the job in my defense. Um, <laughs> but it's a okay. school in North Carolina. It's a D1 school in North Carolina. <laughs> but So I grew up with my dad, um, and my dad was always really conscious of not forcing me to play a sport because, one, I'm huge, and everybody wanted me to play basketball because I've always been huge. And two, like, he knew what expectations would come with me playing because of my mother and my brother. Mm. Um, even though my brother wasn't really that important at that time, in my, at that point in my life. But, uh, yeah, so he didn't really force me to play basketball. Like, I played maybe one year of, like, junior sparks at the YMCA. And then um, I tried to play in middle school. But every time I got in trouble, my dad would take away basketball, and I was always in trouble. Um, <laughs> and then my first game, I practiced with the boys' team in middle school, and he never let me play a game. And then one game, I caught him one morning half sleep, and my first game, I broke my ankle. So then I was out until, like, eighth grade <laughs> high school. So I never really played basketball coming up just because I was interested in everything else. I was always in trouble and my dad would let me do everything besides basketball. So I was in theater. I was a singer. Like I did everything but basketball, basically. <laughs> I was a computer nerd, like all of it. Um, and so when I started, I like learned basketball different. I learned it by watching my big brother play, by watching my aunt coach. Cause she was at, she was assistant coach at UCLA when I was like, when I was like in third, fourth grade, she was assistant coach at UCLA. So I went to every UCLA game. Um, and basically like every school she coached at, I was at the games, I was at the camps, whatever, whatever. So I learned basketball by watching it as opposed to playing it. So now I see the game in a very cerebral way, um, which kind of gets me in trouble sometimes just because like I want to understand how everything goes. But it also means that I understand the game. So my brother got drafted when I was in eighth grade. And he spent two years in Nevada before that. And I used to watch his games, stay up late and record his games and, like, watch him. And I would send him notes after the game. I was, like, sixth, seventh grade, mind you. I'm, like, <laughs> 11, 12 years old, like, telling him, like, yo, you got to box out. Like, that one shot you took wasn't this. And, like, and one time, at one point, he was, like, yo, mom, she really knows what she's talking about. Like, make her play basketball. Like, what? And so I started playing in high school. And I remember I had to choose between a role in the school play or playing basketball. And I realized that there's not that many acting roles for six, seven women in the world. And here you are now. So, 
and here we are, you know, it worked out, I guess. Uh, <laughs> though I do think I could have been Sonalazen, but, you know, whatever. It would have been good, though. I could have seen it, like, an extended... Omar would have had to been 6'10". You <laughs> what, when you um, told your mom that she wanted to go into the league, what did she... Um, what did she... Like, did you tell her, or did she kind of, like, already... No, was it kind of like one of those unsaid things? And what kind of advice did she give you just about her experience in the league and what to expect or how to make the most of your career? Like, what are some things that she, some jewels that she dropped on you prior to getting? So I never wanted to play professional basketball, like ever. Okay. Literally, we're sitting at draft day at the table, and my parents are laughing about how I said I would never play professional basketball. Um. <laughs> I just never, one, I never thought I was good enough because I never really took basketball serious. I didn't take basketball serious until really, really late in my career. I was just naturally good because I was, I was smart, so I understood everything. And then I just, I inherited a lot from my parents. So, and I'm 6'7", that helps. So I was naturally good and I could do a lot of things that would take people a lot more time to master just off a whim. Right. So I didn't take it as serious as I should for a very long time, which is probably why I wasn't Brianna Stewart growing up, whatever. Um, <laughs> whatever, but um, I used to tell my parents, like, I'm just playing basketball to get a college degree. Like, I'm not playing. I'm not going to play after. Like, I don't have time for that. Like, and it was partially, one, I didn't think I was good enough. Two, I just thought, like, the WNBA was disrespected. Like, they didn't get paid enough. And I was like, man, I'll just be a normal person. Like, forget it. And then junior year of college, maybe. Sophomore year of college, I had a really good season. I had a breakup season. We went to – made the NCAA tournament, made it to the second round. Um, I did really well. And then I started working really hard. And then I got injured going into junior year. But I came back. And I made, like, all Big 12 and all these extra stuff, basically on one leg because I wasn't 100%. And I was just like, yo – I'm good. Like <laughs> everybody started talking, like maybe she, everybody started talking about the league and stuff. And then I got a taste of the real world. I had a job. I majored in accounting. So I had to get an internship. And I was just like, this is, this is not fun. <laughs> like <laughs> I have to wake up and put on pants and like <laughs> go to work. I was like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we should think about this basketball thing. Like <laughs> maybe we should think about it again. <laughs> Yeah, because this regular, this regular, regular, regular life is not. Man, I tell you, I was regular for a whole month last year. I was on accounting. Yeah. I was a whole staff accountant for a whole month last year, and I was like, "Man, we gotta go. We gotta go play basketball." <laughs> like, nah, man. Thirty days, and that was enough. But no, I wanted to ask you, like, along those lines, what is it? dealing with your own personal, you know, apart from the real world stuff, you really have to do with basketball. You spend a lot of months over in China away from your family. How do you balance that time with your family and work and just trying to make it all work together for your life? Because that's the side of the WNBA and it's players that a lot of people don't see or, or don't know, you know, to supplement that income that you say, you know, the league doesn't pay the players. You got to spend the majority of the year on another continent. So how do you try to just stay sane in the mix of all that and making your money overseas and staying close to your mom and your brother and your dad and all that extended family? So the cool part about me and my brother is that we talk like every other day 
if it isn't a conversation, it's like sending somebody a meme or like commenting on Snapchat. Like, God bless social media. Um, my mother dated my father when she was playing overseas, and I don't understand. Like, this was like the early 90s. Like, no FaceTime, no cell phones, like, no internet, like, barely. <laughs> Just the house phone. Like, I don't get like really like what what are we doing writing letters and talking on the phone like I can't imagine like how you stay in contact with people in that era like that is just so crazy to me and so like god bless social media god bless technology but I'm also just a loner at heart so I enjoy being overseas like I enjoy being able to fall off the face of the planet like and not have to talk to anybody if I don't want to I realize that that's probably my problem I like to be alone but I enjoy it I think Obviously, the older I get, like, I'm only 23, so I don't have any responsibilities per se. I don't have any kids. I'm sure the older I'll get, I get the more I want to be. I want to be stateside, but as of now, I'm like, man, I get to travel for free. I don't really got no expenses. The one thing I think I miss is just kind of, I just feel so much older than all my peers because they're, like, partying and, like, turning up and having all these extra things, you know? Mm. and I'm like always play basketball <laughs> but the thing about being a loner at heart because I feel like I have a lot of those introvert tendencies is that when you actually are out partying with your friends you want to be home alone no but actually all the time all the yeah. time <laughs> it's like dang they having so much fun and you go you're like all right let me just pack it on up early 12 30 I'm out I mean that's just my experience no that's me like I'm notorious for being like like, my friends know, like, they invite me out and they actually want me there and they didn't, like, come pick me up, like, because I'm, I'm going to be like, oh, I'll meet you there and not actually go. I was the opposite at 23. <laughs> both of you guys are 23, so you guys obviously have that. You guys can relate more. I'm a little bit on the, if you flip those two numbers around, that's my age. And <laughs> um, I was the opposite at 23. I was, I was getting my life together in the club or yep. parties. <laughs> I was out here. As, I was just some princess before. The 23 was like a great year because, you know, I was fine as hell. My stomach was flat for no reason. <laughs> um, I had just finished college, like, you know, a couple months prior. And I was just doing, living my best life at 23. So I miss living it sometimes. Living my best life. I love it. <laughs> living my best life. I was out here. I was partying. My hair was healthy. Everything was great. I was looking so good. <laughs> no but it was just like you know it was carefree like you said there was no like big responsibilities and you know the one the one thing I do regret though that I am kind of jealous a little bit of basketball players especially female players is the traveling and I wish I would have yeah. a lot more when I was younger I mean I could still travel now but I don't have kids you know because I don't have any children or anything like that but you know work responsibilities life right but when I was 23 in my 20s, I wish I would have traveled out more. And that's something that I think you guys get the advantage. You guys go get to go to countries that people never get to go to. They don't get to live in it the way you guys live in it. Like, it's one thing to visit China for 10 days and then come back to wherever you live normally. But you're in the culture. You see a different aspect of the culture. Like, you become one with the people in a sense. Like, that's I dope. Know. I, I went to play in Israel last year. I loved Israel. Um, and I think that's the best part. Like, you really get to live in these different countries that most likely you wouldn't be visiting, at least not at this age. Like, you know, like, mm -hmm. 
I wouldn't like that's why it's taking me out of the country. Like I was in France and Spain when I was fifteen playing basketball. Like I, that's just these are things that everybody doesn't get to do, especially not me because I, I my brother's a millionaire. But growing up, so <laughs> like you know, like coming from I'm from coming from like I I know people that have never left Inglewood. <laughs> mm, it's right. really cool to have all these experiences. Speaking of experience, I want to transition a little bit um to a little bit more serious topic. Um, so last year, you opened up about a very personal part of your life. You opened up about your battle with depression and suicide attempts that you've had and the experiences that led you up to it. So we want to know what made you feel more comfortable sharing that part of your story and why was it that why why was 20, 2016 the perfect time for you to open up and share that story? Um, well, I started that journey in college. Uh accidentally ironically um I was doing poems that were about my abuse at the time and I was kind of just coming to terms with my abuse and like really getting to therapy and like getting better and I was just kind of coming to my own and I did the I did a sports center special her her voice about kind of my life story and that kind of spun and that's where I found my purpose like I, I truly believe that I'm on this earth and the reason I have this platform that basketball gives me is to talk about sexual abuse, is to talk about mental health, um, and it's to kind of give, I, I don't think the media does a good job of portraying realistic depictions of sexual abuse. Mm. Um, one, because we, we see Law and Order SBU, um, and we see all these extreme cases, but in reality, 75% of victims know their assailant. I don't do it. I don't think the media does a good job of portraying mental health either because we see someone jumping off a bridge or we see somebody perfectly happy. Such as there's such a big gap there and there's so many people that are living successfully with mental health issues that are normal. There's so many people that have been sexually abused or know someone that's been sexually assaulted. But we make it such a stigmatized thing that we can't talk about it, which just kind of perpetuates the problem. Um and I think we've seen that with the Me Too hashtag on Twitter. Brianna Stewart just came out and shared her story with the Players Tribune. So heartbreaking that so many people have this story. So many people have know someone with a similar story. Um, so I think being in the WNBA gave me a bigger platform. Just uh, basketball, just kind of the vehicle that's helping me serve it. This is your purpose on this earth to do that. How did that affect you? You know how. How did it really hit you to be like, okay, this is what I should be doing? Um, so when I told my story in college, it was supposed to be, well, one, I wasn't trying to tell my story. I was performing a piece and then they were like, do you want to talk about this? Like, cause they thought I was going to be doing poetry, like roses are red, violets are blue. But in reality, I was talking about um, me coming to terms of being molested by my, my stepbrother growing up. Um, and they like heard the piece and were like are you comfortable talking about this like we think parents should hear this and it was supposed to just be on my local university of texas media and because that's it's an espn affiliate espn picked up the story redid it and was like nah we're gonna run it during march madness on sports center and i didn't have no say in none of this <laughs> and i remember being so scared because my grandmother didn't know even know a lot of the stuff that was going on that had happened um, and it was very much a vulnerable feeling because it wasn't just like I'm telling my family, I'm telling my friends. I told the whole world. Mm -hmm. But after I did it, so many people reached out to me. So much love, so much, oh my God, that was my story. Thank you so much. 
so much like you're not alone and, and that made it worth it to me um and it's it's sometimes it's really like hard because I feel as though I'm naked when I walk in a room sometimes like I'm like oh you've seen my story or you've read this like I tell people I meet sometimes like don't google me <laughs> like just let it go <laughs> we can just talk <laughs> but at the same on the other hand, like, there are people that have the same story of me that feel silenced, that feel as though they're doing this themselves, as though no one has the story, and until we change that, it's just going to keep happening. Like, I remember what it feels like to not want to live. I remember that sorrow. I remember that pain, and I don't wish that on my worst enemy. So if I can be okay and I can use my voice, then I, I might feel a little embarrassed or, or vulnerable then it's worth it because it's just so much bigger than me how did your family react to you sharing that or how did your family react to that information and that part of your life being exposed to the world because oftentimes you know we like you just said so many people probably people that you don't know probably friends of yours or colleagues reach out to you and were like hey girl you know we're here for you we relate we've been through the same thing but you know you just mentioned that the person that caused that pain to you was a family member. So how did your family react to you and, and show support for you during that time? Um, so I think the hard part about um, sexual abuse when it's within the family is that it's so gray. It's so gray. Mm-hmm. In reality, you want to say, send them to jail. I hate, you, you know, but when in the real world in your circles these people co-mingle these people are loved these people aren't all bad um and so for me when my dad divorced his mother and i he did not exist in my life but he exists in my little sister's life a lot of our mutual friends mutual family stuff like that so and i had the benefit of dealing with it by not being at home um, when I graduated high school, I didn't come home for five years. Mm. And so my story <laughs> on national television, people kind of connected to that. Mm. I had a kind of open wounds that I needed to deal with, and I wasn't ready to, so I just left. Um, and it made a lot more sense once they saw the story, and I, and I had conversations with different people in my family about it, but it definitely wasn't easy. And in that aspect, sometimes I wish I didn't do it because I have two younger sisters that are 13, 14, and 12. Um, and at the time, they were maybe like 10 and 8, maybe, something that era. And they could read. They could get on the internet. Um, and it's still a kind of a, a point of contention to this day. Um, so it's not easy, you know what I mean? Like on TV, you just tell somebody and they lock them up or – but in real life, it's much more complicated, so. Well, we're glad that you shared the story and we're happy that you are coping with it in healthy ways and that you're continuing to be a voice for those people who feel like they can't voice what's going on with them or feel that their voice doesn't matter. So continue to do <laughs> what you do. <laughs> my little heart what's most important about me or what I want people to take from me sharing my story is that more important than the next person. You know what I mean? Like, I think 
we are trained to go into the world with our mask and our perfect our perfect smile and our put our best foot forward when in reality we're all human and a lot of us just need one person to be like yo you failed that test too bruh <laughs> like you know like you never know who kind of just need you just need to connect on that human level but we are so we're so scared of being vulnerable we're so scared of showing somebody that side of telling people that that we're not perfect that we don't have it all together that we're struggling like the next person that it creates all these little all this isolation so i just hope people are inspired to share their own stories whether it be one time i broke my ankle or i was abused for 10 years i I think all stories are relevant and it's important that we kind of get out of get out of ourselves you really this past season i was really paying attention to just your activism on other fronts you know when you were in seattle um just luck so would have it that the rally would be in Seattle for the Planned Parenthood, you know, the team and its personnel came to stand and, and help for Planned Parenthood. And you were there, you know, as a member of Chicago Sky, you know, ahead of the ahead of the game, just the rally happened to be when you were in town. And I loved seeing you and Holly Rowe next to you, you know, just saying that this cause you wanted to stand up for, for the benefit of women. You know, how influential have WNBA players been at the forefront of activism for things like that? Whether it was, you know, a few years ago when it was the Black Lives Matter protests, or even now the Los Angeles Sparks um, deciding not to come out during the national anthem at the start of the finals. You know, how influential have the WNBA players been in, you know, thinking for themselves, even, you know, you included in taking a stand on being activists and standing out and speaking out on social issues. I think one thing that Colin taught us um, through his activism is that you have a voice. Um, And I think we kind of forget that as athletes, as public figures, that we have a voice. And and as most of of the NBA is women of color, a lot of us are part of the LGBT community or we have people that we care about in that community, all women. And we're very much kind of the people being attacked right now um, by the government, by the media, whatever it may be. So it's hard for us to say, I'm going to come outside and play basketball today. When I'm all of these things every day, I'm only a basketball player when the lights come on, but I'm a woman every day. I'm a woman of color every day. Mm-hmm. I don't get to pick and choose what, what I stand for or who I am. So I can't pick and choose when I choose, when I want to talk about it or when I want to stand up for it. So I think as women of color, as women with this platform, it's kind of our duty to stand up for these things and speak about these things. I feel like sometimes people have forgotten that the WNBA players have been on the forefront of uh, of speaking out on social activism and everything. I know last season, the players took a stance, not this past season, the season prior, the players took a stance, especially in New York, Minnesota, um, wearing t-shirts or turning the t-shirts inside out, protesting the killings of uh, people by police. And then shortly after Colin Kaepernick took a kneel and then it just went from there. And I feel like Colin's actions are still being talked about so much heavily in the media, but there's other people, including WNBA, that it's kind of been lost in the sauce in a sense, right? Do you have any feelings about that? Does it even matter to you, like who does it first or anything like that? How do you feel about 
that whole thing in general. Colin Kaepernick is the face of activism right now because he's sacrificing multi-millions of dollars. And I don't know if I can make that decision. And that's real. That's on me. That's I, don't honest, can, yeah. I don't know if I can make that decision. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm not in his shoes, so I don't know if I would. But I think when you're when you're doing something that you believe in, you're not doing it so people can say you did it first. Mm-hmm. I don't. I doubt Colin Kaepernick knew he was about to be Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> like, I don't think he was. He got on his knees that one day and was like, "Bro, I'm gonna lose my job. Everybody gonna get pissed. This is gonna be a conversation for a whole year." <laughs> I think what he felt he needed to do, and I and I think that's what we do in the WNBA. We feel like we need to speak out and take a stand on something, and if people notice, if people give us the kudos and go ahead, but. We're not doing it for that reason. We're not doing it to say we were first. We're not doing it to say, look at us. I think when you do things genuinely and you really believe in them, they do well. And that's kind of what you've seen from our league. Our players have voices and we choose to use them. You mentioned so many WNBA players have gone to college. They have degrees. A lot of them have masters and spending their fifth year at school. There's some educated women in the league. You know, people just think that you, like you said, you're your basketball only a couple hours out. You're a basketball player only a couple hours out of the week, but you're a woman always, and you're a college-educated woman always. Exactly. So before we wrap up, I want to wrap up on like a lighter note because we did talk about some serious, important, very necessary topics. So musically, right now, where are you? What do you listen to? What's in your uh, iPod? What's in your phone? I Who just discovered Big Crit. Um, I'm you not just discovered Big Crit. Okay, so the only I love song him. I ever listened to is it me or is it something about a car to make a vet? That's the only song I'd ever heard by Big Crit. <laughs> y'all gotta be y'all not southern like me. So we've been on Big Crit since I was in like high school. Yeah, <laughs> that's my hit. That that one that one song I just sang. That's my hit. But yeah. I'm not a big rap fan in general. So when the new album dropped, I was like, man, you listen to that one song. You might as well listen to the rest. And I listened to that whole album. So there's that. I'm really a big fan of Big Crit right now. Um, Ella May, she's like, she's not really popping. She's I'm like up and coming. She's British, right? I love her. Yeah. Goodbye to I, mm. yes, yes, That is yes. my song. <laughs> I love her. Um, I love her. Um... Chris Brown's 300 song album is a banger. It's so good. It's so good. I thought everybody was joking when they were tweeting like 45 songs. I like I thought they was exaggerating, and I was like, "Oh, y'all were serious. Like, <laughs> this is really 45 songs." But they're 45. so good. Like easily 33 of the 45 are bangers. Oh wow! Yeah, it's really good. I I had got halfway through the album. I've been trying to listen to it at work. Because I feel like it's the only place I can listen to the whole thing uninterrupted. But I didn't get through it, the whole thing yet. But so far, I like it a lot. Nah, it's good. He has at least 20 songs to make a child to. So, definitely. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, nah, it's, it's, it's very good. <laughs> no, it is. I was just talking to my friend yesterday about Rihanna. Um. <laughs> I need to know. She needs to write a self-help book so I can read it. Called How to Get Thick and Live Your Best Life. Sans fuckboy. <laughs> 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 
best life, bro. Rihanna is your best life. Like when you think about what you want your best life to be, it's Rihanna. Bamboozled, cause she's dumb thick right now, and I'm like, what are you eating? Like, why aren't you telling us? Why are you being selfish? Guys, if you those listening, if you have any tips or tricks on how to get thick, Amani has been on a mission to get. <laughs> so if you can send her any suggestions. Tips, tricks. Please, I have a whole food. suggestion box available. Tweet me, tweet me using the hashtag thick money. Let me know. Right. Yes, we're gonna help her get thick by a, like a good year or two. Let's help her get the. Th- I don't know what her fitness, her thickness goals are. I don't know if she's trying to go all the way like Serena thick. I don't know if she's trying to do Rihanna thick, where it's like a slim thick. I don't know if she's trying to do Beyonce, which is well, Beyonce yeah, is like. I- She's crazy yes. thick now. After them babies, boy. <laughs> so, yes, please Beyond hit her up with the <laughs> Anyway, thank you so much, Amani, for taking the time of your, out of your busy schedule overseas to talk to us. We, are pre- we should do this again sometime for sure. Definitely when, like, the season is here or... During college season, maybe if you have time, you could drop in because uh, I'm. When I have internet, I'm totally available. <laughs> I made a commitment. University of Texas women's basketball. Y'all about to be. Um, we have been popping be... very much. Uh, they should, okay. They was a disappointment last year losing in the Sweet Sixteen. Last year was supposed to be Final Four year. I put all that groundwork in. They gonna play around, mess up my momentum. <laughs> uh, one of our best players got suspended. She can't play till December. Which one? Joyner. Joyner Holmes. Oh, man. Well, y'all got who? Um, you got Tina Thompson at the helm. You can't go wrong with that. Who shook Sutton? I thought to come be my head coach in the league, selfish. She getting, she getting paid more in Texas, most likely. But I was like, you're selfish. I'm trying to get better. What, what, what you mean you don't want to coach me in the league? Maybe she might. We'll see how this season goes. But I made a commitment to Princess um, that I'm going to get into women's college basketball throughout the whole season and not just around March Madness. <laughs> I'm, I'm committing to it. And before, I know... You got to get her to watch some games before 2018. Yes, yes. I think... This, but these are the fun games, too, because it's the out-of-conference like rivalry game. Like, if you're gonna watch women's college basketball outside of the final four, you should watch like preseason because it's when people are playing random people. Who should I watch out for then? Like, what teams do you think I need to have on my radar if I want a really good overall overall experience? Well, Ohio State, Stephanie Mavunga just had 26 rebounds, so maybe watch her. 26 so. rebounds? Yeah, she had 26 rebounds. And no, that's the crazy part though. It wasn't against a scrub. It was against Stanford. Right. Like what? Let me put a that's let me put a note in my phone so I could just have all these teams on deck. So you said Ohio State, right? UCLA. UCLA. You obviously should watch Texas just because uh the I went to Texas. <laughs> University um, of Texas, right? There's no other school in Texas. Um, it's just UT. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the shade. I love it. Okay. Um, um you should watch uh Baylor, even though I don't like them, but Kaylani Brown is a freaking monster. 
she's six seven, but she's actually thick, so it's kind of crazy. <laughs> um, it's a shame that I do live an hour, like two hours to either Yukon or two hours to less than two hours to Rutgers. You can go how far is Q's from you? Syracuse to here, uh, a couple hours, not that far. They're fun and they're black, so they play like black people basketball. And their coach wears all these crazy ties and shirts and stuff. Oh, Oregon. Oregon, because they're 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 mad young. And Kelly Graves is their coach and he's just so amazing. But Oregon, they have their they have the they had the freshman of the year last year, Sabrina Ionesco. She's basically a walking triple double. Um no. and she got she got a whole team of rook of like sophomores and they play like they don't got no sense like, like they don't know no better yeah duke is gonna be pretty good too alexi brown she came from maryland um oh she played this year too huh she played last year and then um so she played last year it's gonna be her last year and then rebecca greenwell's a good student for duke so you can watch them um rebecca greenwell still in college mm-hmm Seventh year college, dog. So thank you to Imani McGee Stafford Center for the Atlanta Dream, who is now out in China, balling out, learning Chinese, experiencing the world, living her best life. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Uh, Lo and I are very appreciative. You are a friend of the W Podcast, and we do appreciate it. So for everybody who does not know how to contact you, I don't know how they don't, because you are the social media queen, please give us all of your social media handles, whether it be Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter. If, if you if you still use Facebook, you can drop that too. Okay, so my Snapchat is pretty beastie, like pretty beastie. My Instagram is Imani Trishan, I-M-A-N-I-T-R-I-S-H-A-W-N. And my Twitter is also Imani Trishan, but with an underscore at the end. And that's it. Cool. And if anybody wants to connect with us at the W Podcast, we are at the W Podcast underscore on Twitter and just at the W Podcast on Instagram. As always, Beyond the W is where you can find Lo and all of her Women's basketball glory. We gotta get some college basketball up there, as we mentioned. Hey, I'm leading her through it, so we're gonna get we're gonna get it right. But um, again, thank you so much for joining us and join us in the weeks to follow for the W podcast. Bye guys. It's something.